0: where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, March 23rd, we are studying John chapter 15, verse 18, through chapter 16, verse 4a. In today's text, Jesus prepares his disciples for the persecution and hatred from the world that they will face after he has died, risen, and ascended. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: It's excellent to be back, Pastor Apple.
0: As we get started today, Pastor Zimmerman, help us with some context. What should we know about John and the surrounding verses as we prepare to look at this text today.
1: Okay, so if our listeners would uh, turn to their Bibles and open the Gospel of John, and you get to chapter 13 in John's Gospel, this begins his account of the event that takes place on Holy Thursday, and then bleeds all the way into the events of Good Friday, um, Holy Saturday, and then Easter, all, all the way into Chapter 20. And if you they would look at, especially John 13 through 17, if they have, uh, especially those if they have Bibles that have like the words Jesus marked in red, mm-hmm. like some um, editions have them this is where, like, you can see they must have, like, gone through all the red ink in in the printing. (laughs) That's right. And and the reason is because Jesus uses the event of the Passover meal that he is having with his disciples on that night, uh, the night in which he is betrayed, as we will actually see um, in John's Gospel, but also the other Gospels speak about this, In John's Gospel especially, though, um, this is recorded for us as an event where Jesus kind of gives a a farewell discourse. (coughs) Uh, Before he's going to depart from his disciples in death and then return when he's resurrected, but then also depart from them at his ascension, he needs to speak to them to, to tell them about what they're going to experience, what they're going to be, uh, the roles or, or mission that he is going to assign to them, and so at this Last Supper, this Passover meal, uh, Jesus does a number of things which leads up to this discourse. So, so if you read John thirteen, that's where you have like the washing of the feet. Uh, Jesus talks about Judas betraying him. He gives a new commandment to love one another. He, he tells them, including Peter, that he will deny uh, Jesus. And then he goes into this farewell address where he, where he touches on, you know, really kind of like five main topics we can kind of divide it into. So uh, what his disciples' identity will be. Uh, What they can anticipate to receive from the Father, uh, both in this world and then in the world to come. Um, He tells them about their new life of obedience, including what they will face from the world. He will talk about the work of the Holy Spirit that will be conducted within them and through them. And then he will also speak about the joy that will be theirs uh, following his resurrection. Hmm. So... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long-winding discourse, um, but we see this at times uh, even outside of the Scriptures when a person is going to depart from a group uh, that he's been an integral part of or a leader handing over things before maybe he will retire or will die or will move away. So this is what Jesus is doing in this upper room at this last supper and that's why oftentimes like in uh biblical commentaries or writings uh, about this section of john's gospel we'll talk about this as the upper room discourse Mm. or jesus farewell address Mm.
0: we've mentioned this before although i think it's been a few episodes since we've talked about it but calling it a farewell address i think is helpful and yet at the same time To recognize that Jesus will say things like, it's good that I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. You're going to see me again. So that even as it's a farewell address, it's not a farewell address in the same way that, say, Moses gave his farewell address, or Joshua or Samuel, the Old Testament prophets who had these farewell addresses because they know they're about to die. Jesus knows he's about to die, but he also knows that he's going to be raised, that he's going to ascend, that he's going to go to his father and that all of these are good things for his disciples that will then send them on a mission after he's ascended. And so it it has that, I don't know, it has a different sense to it than your typical farewell address, because it's it's not only preparing for after he dies, but after even he has risen and ascended. And so it it has more of a I don't know a confident feel, I guess, than some other farewell addresses might. Not that Moses and Joshua and Samuel didn't have a confident sense in their final words to to Israel, but it just has a a different flavor to it than other farewell addresses. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and it's good that you mentioned that because um, compared to like Moses or Joshua or other or people like that, um, we're we're dealing with two main things that change the nature of this one being the resurrection itself which changes everything and the fact that the person giving this address is the god who has assumed humanity
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> it is the incarnate lord who who is speaking this and so so that will automatically bring a l- little bit of a different flavor and character to this as uh, you rightly noted. it
0: well, and, and even to the, to the effect that it becomes more victorious in that, in that sense that Jesus knows he's going to be crucified, yes, but that's him laying down his life, as he often says in John's gospel, so that he can take it back up again. So that even as in this text, he's going to talk about the hatred that the disciples will receive from the world, it's not in a, a woe is me sort of way, but rather preparing them for what lies ahead so that they will go through it, faithfully and and end up with him in the resurrection on the last day. Again, it just it, it changes the whole flavor of it because of the way that you know he knows what he's doing is for their good. And this isn't a defeat for him. It's ultimately for his glory. Again to use the language that John uses
1: absolutely so.
0: All right. So we are here in John fifteen, beginning at verse eighteen and carrying all the way into chapter sixteen today. Here is the text. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. That is our text for today. That is John chapter 15, verse 18 through chapter 16, verse 4a. We'll pick up 4b tomorrow. All right, so Pastor Zimmerman, we are here in John 15, and now Jesus is going to speak about his the world hating his followers. Jesus says at the beginning of our text, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. Help us into these words of Jesus at the beginning of our text.
1: Okay, so when Jesus speaks about himself in contrast to the world, he talks about the negative reception that he has received. And if we have read through John's gospel, we would have actually seen incidents of that. Um, John's gospel is one of the, I I think, of of the four is probably the one that has the most direct confrontation Mm -hmm. of Jesus uh, with those who do not receive him. Now, it's (laughs) not as if the others don't. Uh, Matthew might be the second most where you have a lot more tangling with Pharisees. Uh, Luke's gospel and Mark also have that, but, but kind of the real pointed ones uh, that kind of talk about his origin, where he is from, uh, who has sent him, the fact that he is you know, God in the world, um, that he's different from the world. Uh, That he brings a truce to the world that the world doesn't want. He's bringing light into the world that the the world wants to, like, uh, squelch, okay? I mean, those are the types of themes that, that we find in John's gospel especially. And now when Jesus is going to talk to his disciples about what they're going to encounter in the world, he's going to say they need to expect to encounter that same negative response, Of human society, the same negative response that he received. Now, why that's so is because, in the same way that the world did not recognize him, they are also not going to recognize those who are connected to him, Mm -hmm. Uh, those who are uh, his representatives, which is going to be a very important thing when we get into. John chapter 20, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, preview things for several weeks in advance here, uh, where, where, where Jesus is going to say, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you uh, in, into the world. Um, At the same kind of negative uh, reaction that the world gave to him, his disciples ought to expect as well.
0: Mm. All right, so Jesus is going to prepare them for this coming reality. He states it outright, their connection to him means that they will be hated just as he was hated. And that happened to him first. Now, he goes on to explain why this is the case. In verse 19, he talks about the the difference between being one of his disciples and being of the world. So when Jesus made these men his disciples, he chose them out of the world And that reality is also related to why they will receive the world's hatred. Tell us more about how Jesus explains this in verse 19 of our text.
1: Okay, so with this is kind of verse 19 is really kind of based on like associations. Hmm. Who are you affiliated with? Who who are you with? Who are you from? What group do you belong to? Um, You know, we don't want to make it you know as, as trite as maybe some of our things we see in in our um like everyday world but um you know what gang are you in mm. uh what ethnic group are you in um which which nation do you belong to um even you know which english football team do you support you're going to be a hooligans against you know, the people in the in the other soccer team and the, i mean you know we see this in in a a what might seem like large scale in in our everyday living world and yet that's actually small scale compared to the bigger identity question that Jesus has brought up here he's saying you belong to me and because i took you from your previous identity of being of this world And reflecting back on things earlier in John's gospel, they've received birth from above, new birth, right? They've been born of water and spirit. they they got a new origin. they got a new affiliation. Because of that new identity given to them, they have been pulled out of what they used to belong to. And this doesn't go unnoticed. This doesn't go, um, you know, unidentified because it becomes part of how we think and speak and act. Um, it's, it's demonstrated how we look at the world. Hmm. And now this different group of people as the world sees them, that there's something odd about them. Hmm. They're, they're, they're not us anymore. And that affects how the world looks at them.
0: So talk more about how we see this show up elsewhere in Scripture, that because Jesus has called us out of the world, then the world hates us.
1: So if we look at some of the writings that the apostles give to us, uh, the the letters written by um, the people that Jesus sent into the world— uh, to carry his witness They speak about us um, Being um, Given a new identity Like um, in, the, in the letter to the Colossians uh, That's where Paul talks about you know, uh, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness And transferred us Into the kingdom of his beloved son uh, Peter in First Peter Will talk about um, the church Being a chosen race uh, they, they weren't a people before But now they're God's people um, so kind of a separation from the rest of humanity. Uh, John himself, and first John will talk about opponents being from the world, speaking from the world, world listening to them, but we're from God. Okay. And, and so those kind of statements about different identities are, are reflecting what Christ has done. <clears throat> Uh, Because he has selected us, chosen us to be his followers, we're given a new identity, just as like the original disciples um, had had been given that new identity. Hmm.
0: So all of this is to say that for Jesus' disciples, we should not be surprised to find that the world hates us because Jesus has called us out of the world, to use language that John uses in his first epistle. We are in the world still, but we are not of the world. I think Jesus will talk that way, that he's not taking us out of the world in the sense that we're not not—we're not dying. We still live in this world. I think he uses that language in the high priestly prayer coming up here in John 17. Indeed. And I think John echoes that in his first epistle. So we shouldn't be surprised that as we live in this world, we receive the world's hatred and persecution because we are not of the world. And, and we'll talk more about the implications of that when we look at John's first epistle on sharper iron after we finish the gospel. But we have that background for it. Jesus telling his disciples precisely this, why it is happening, so they won't be surprised. So it's for his disciples then, and it also has application for us, his disciples now. Now, as Jesus continues then in this section, in verse 20, he reminds them of something that we've already heard him say Within this upper room discourse, in verse 20, he says, Remember what I told you earlier, a servant is not greater than his master. So talk about where Jesus has said that previously, how he's applied it previously, and now how he's applying it here in this section.
1: So this is one of these uh, maxims or proverbs that Jesus uses a lot. Uh, It's interesting because you can find it um, in more than Genesis than John's gospel. Hmm. So in, 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 Matt, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses this. He says that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Um, it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And then if they've called the master of the household Beelzebul, then how much more will they malign those of his household? So there he, he's speaking about them saying, you know, you're, you're belonging to me And if I who I'm like top in the relationship, you know, I'm the I'm the master, you're the servants and I'm getting this kind of like negative reaction and slander and persecution. Well, then really, you shouldn't expect to be treated any any better uh, than than I've been treated. Um, Additionally, Jesus uses it as, like, you are to follow me, follow my example. That's kind of how he used it earlier Mm -hmm. in the upper room discourse. That's after he had washed the disciples' feet, and he says, you know, I've given you an example, so you should do just like I did to you. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So, you know, it's really kind of talking about kind of the relationship between us, who are following Jesus, and the fact that we should expect to kind of receive the same things that Jesus does.
0: Well, and, and I think it, and
1: the consequences of it.
0: What What's interesting, especially about the the most recent use of this phrase from Jesus within John's Gospel, is that in John thirteen, I think there's you know there's a a positive sense to it. Jesus has just washed their feet and he tells them a servant is not greater than his master so follow my example and you know you think about well that that's a very good thing that Jesus gives them to serve each other by being willing to wash each other's feet to serve as the lowest servant among them what a what a wonderful thing and yet here there's a you know it's a more negative aspect which is it's striking when you put those two things together why would you why would you persecute the one who's come to serve you. I mean, I guess that's the question you would ask about why is this happening to Jesus of all people to, to hate why him the same thing that was going to happen to his disciples. It's, it's striking here. This is less something that they're going to choose for themselves. I suppose, you know, in in chapter 13, it's more, you've seen me do this. Now you go and do this here. It's, it's less that, you know, you're going to choose this hatred, but it's simply going to come to you because you are one of mine. It's not a, an active choice on their part. It's simply the the cross that they bear because they follow Jesus.
1: Yeah, uh, it's kind of a negative perk. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's it's part of being affiliated with him. Yeah. (laughs) However, what's interesting, though, is that it's not all negative uh, because he also says, you know, um, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they kept my word they will also keep yours. Yeah. So it, you know, it's not, and I, I don't want to give the impression uh, that everything that Jesus faces in the world is only negative reaction. Right. Uh, he, there are those who have received his testimony and are placing their trust in him. And when the disciples go out and carry the testimony of Christ, and they are received, then they will also be treated like their master was treated, and, and that's a that's a positive aspect. And I think some of us who are in the pastoral ministry, we we sometimes um, overlook that fact. True. Yeah, and it's like you know there are there are things that people do to uh, those who are leaders of the church. It will sometimes reflect the, the negative, I mean, the opposition. That, that's true. But there's an awful lot of things that, um, both from personal experience and seeing other people's experiences who have been within the leadership of churches, but both pastoral and, and lay leadership for that matter as well, who um, receive positive activity from individuals because of that identity they carry, that vocation they have.
0: Yeah, that, that's a very good point, and it is a helpful reminder that we don't assume that the word will always be rejected. In fact, it, it will be received, and you can look at other examples in Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 10, where he sends his disciples out, he talks about the home that will receive them and receive their peace, and so let your peace come upon them. You could think about the parable of the sower that Jesus tells, and some of the seed does hit that good soil, and God causes the growth and the fruit that comes from it. And so, yeah, that's a very good point, that the word of Jesus that is spoken by these men will be received by some. And I suppose, you know, put those two things side by side. On the one hand, then, when the disciples receive the world's persecution, they need not despair, because that is what they did to Jesus. And on the other hand, when the disciples' word is received, then They should not fall into pride because it's the word of Jesus, not theirs. And so in either case, it strengthens the church for faithful living as they proclaim Jesus word. Indeed. All right. So then Jesus in verse 21 again goes uh, another reminder, all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So a, a reminder again, that they're doing these things on account of Jesus, but he specifies my name. And then he also brings up the fact they don't know the one who sent him. Talk how Jesus continues to elaborate here.
1: So now he's actually kind of like more fully explained kind of rationale for the world's hatred and, and persecution. Both of him, uh, which he's already experienced, and now what his followers will experience. And again, it's because they're identified. With, they're identified with Jesus. They're, they they bear Jesus' name. Uh, they they will be called Christians. You know, in the Book of Acts, that that you know, it's it's the Christ party. You know that, that that's who they belong to. That's who they're affiliated with. And his relationship with God. You know the, these um, titles that he carries: Son of God, Son of Man, um, the Christ. The Lord's Christ, and I, th- I think that might be important that we, 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 we recognize it's not just any Messiah or anointed one, it's the Lord's anointed one. Um, and that relationship with God, which Jesus has, he is extending now to his people, and, well, those who actually recognize the Lord and his authority and power and that Jesus has uh, been sent by the father well they will also gladly welcome and receive those who are sent by him but if they rejected the one whom the father sent well then we should not expect anything other than really the rejection of the one whom jesus sends, and that's what he is uh, discussing here hmm.
0: We're going to keep looking at this text from John chapter 15 and 16. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharp Iron on KFUL. We're talking to Pastor Luke Zimmerman this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, March 23rd. We're studying John chapter 15 verse 18 through chapter 16 verse 4a with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we were looking at John 15 verse 21 where Jesus teaches his disciples that the world will hate them on account of his own name and because they don't know the one who sent me, they don't know the Father. Jesus continues in verse 22 if i had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin but now that they have no ex- but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father also talk about the the transition it seems that Jesus is making there in verse 22 he talks about what would have been if he hadn't come and spoken to them but now that he has come and spoken of their guilty what's jesus saying there
1: so he's talking about um the revelation that he had brought into the world we we when we talk about Jesus we we talk about him as the light that has come into the world right you know J- the prologue to John's gospel uh spoke that way right so, you know and, and we hear it at christmas time all, all, all you know you know the you know that he has come full of grace and truth um is the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world but then you know, he was in the world, but the world didn't know him. It came to his own. His own people didn't receive him, right? You know, these things. And what John sets up in his prologue, uh, kind of introduction to his gospel, he actually gives, like, specific examples of this with uh, Jesus' teaching and, and Jesus' activity. So when, when Jesus is preaching in John's gospel, you know, He'll He'll talk about, you know, the the Father has sent me into the world, right? Um, I, I, I've come uh, to carry the sins of the world, and those who will believe in me will have eternal life. But those who don't believe in me, well, they're they're already condemned. Um, Jesus, uh, when he heals a blind man in John chapter nine, you know he he says that for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And, and the, some Pharisees are there, and they're like, well, are we blind? And, and uh, Jesus says, well, if you actually were blind, you'd have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And what he's talking about is when Jesus brings his testimony and witness of who he is, what he's in the world to do. Uh, the Father has sent me into the world. Uh, to do the work of God is to believe in me, the one who, whom the Father has sent. Uh, when he says this, it confronts the world. And and it's, it's almost a take it or leave it. Um, the great question that the Gospels ultimately kind of pose is what do you think about Jesus? Yeah. Who do you think he is? Who do you say I, I am? Who am I? What am I in the world to do? And not only does Jesus do things oh, that are speaking about his identity. So just like testifying by teaching, he also demonstrates his identity by actions that he performs with are fulfilling promises that the father had spoken through the prophets and, 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 said, this is what my Messiah, my anointed one will do. <coughs> and so when Jesus actually comes on scene into the world, and starts doing this, it 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 confronts us like, well, what what are you going to think about this? What what are you going to say about this? What what are you going to confess about this? And when Jesus says that about the people who have been seeing and hearing uh, the, the 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 words and works that he's been performing and, and speaking. It, it It's not an ignorance thing anymore. he's what well, he's talking about here about um having people having no excuse for their sin, um not having been guilty of sin. he's he's talking about potentially people who have like who, who have been ignorant and may have never heard about him, never saw him. But that's not the case for all these people like in, in you know first century Judea where the the actions of jesus have been performed in their sight his words have been spoken in their hearing and it's a matter of are they receiving him as the lord's christ or not
0: now jesus also says in connection to that sounds familiar to what he's been saying but help us see it again verse 23 whoever hates me hates my father also, it seems like that relates very much to what he said in verse 21 about not knowing the one who sent him.
1: Right. So, if you're if you're pledging allegiance or you're saying that you're loving Yahweh, you know, um then how can you hate or reject the Messiah that Yahweh sent? And unfortunately, that's kind it's it's a situation, especially in in that you know first century that the audience of of Jesus is facing. Um, you've got people who are claiming to love the Lord, who called Abraham to be the great patriarch, who made promises to Isaac and Jacob, who 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 brought his people out of Egypt into the promised land, who established a temple for his presence among them, who, who also brought them back from exile like in Babylon and, and brought them back. You know, you know, they are claiming a love of this one. They're claiming a love and a dedication to the words that he had spoken through Moses or the prophets or, or the psalmists. And then the very one who all those words testify about, that they said he's going to show up, shows up and actually does the things that the Lord said his sent one would do, and they don't want him. They, they, they reject him. They hate him. Well, if they're hating him, then they're actually hating the one that, had promised to send this Messiah. And that's what Jesus is saying
0: there. As he continues then into verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Now this this verse, I think, may strike us as a little strange. If Jesus hadn't come and done his thing, then they wouldn't be guilty. Well, then Jesus, why did you come? Is maybe one question that we would be tempted to ask. I don't think that's the right question, uh, but help us to, to see perhaps why that's not the right question, Pastor Zimmerman, and take us into what Jesus is truly teaching here in verse 24.
1: So Jesus is actually really emphasizing the works that he had done uh, and the reaction that those works had had gotten. That That's what he wants to talk about. Um, he he's talking about things that he did as the Messiah, which no one else had ever done. Um, And in John's gospel, (laughs) this this is something that uh, gets picked up on. Um, There are incidents where Jesus performs actions or activities, and people notice that he's doing things differently, things that no one else had done. Uh, Nicodemus says that. In fact, he says, you know, we know that you're a teacher coming from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, when when Jesus talks to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, uh, you know, and, and he, you know, he's revealing all those things uh, about, you know, well, you've actually had like five husbands and you're living with a man who's not your husband right now. And, and she almost, almost like drops the jar and walks back to her town and says, you know, there's a man out there and he's told me everything I've ever done and could this be the Christ um when Jesus heals the blind man and and, and the blind man a formerly blind man at this point is being pressed on like well who did this to you and and why are you believing in him and he's basically saying well you know we've never heard about anybody giving blind people sight before yeah. and and, and it, this is what he did and so if he's If he's not from God, he couldn't have done anything like this. So, in a positive way, you you do see some people who are picking up on the signs that Jesus was performing. But at the same time, you've got Jesus performing these signs, uh, many of them which were prophesied. uh, They're demonstrations of divine power, divine identity which he carries. And people are like, well, but you're not really the son of God. Uh, you're not really the Messiah. You're, 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 a, you're an imposter. You're, you're a pretender. Now they even try to stone him. You're a blasphemer. You also know, are trying to stone him. And Jesus at times points, was like, well, okay, if you're condemning me, what is it you're condemning me for? Is it because I healed this guy? Uh, it's because I told you the truth about who God is. Um, uh, is it because the Father is doing his works in me? And he even says, well, I mean, if you don't want to like believe me, well, then believe on the stuff that I've been doing. And, and that's what he's getting at. If this has been performed according to what the Lord had laid out, if what Jesus has been doing are activities that only the divine could could accomplish, the, con- the conclusion should be, well, then he's the one the Father has sent. Yeah. They've seen these things, and you've got two camps of people, the ones who are seeing it and receiving his identity. He is the Christ, and I'm going to receive the benefits of his work. And you have those who have even seen what he's performed and saying, I don't want it, or I, I can't accept it or I'm simply rejecting it, or this is some sort of trick, uh, wh- whatever it is, but it's causing them to both hate Jesus and hate the Father as well.
0: Now Jesus says that this word is written in their law and it is fulfilled. So he, he, the way he phrases it, we we probably should take a look at the word that is written in their law. Why does he call it their law? And then what is this word, they hated me without cause, where is that written?
1: so by speaking of it as his adversary's law so the the, the law that belongs to them he's really speaking <clears throat> about people who have what we call the old testament but what what you just can call the scriptures uh, they they've got the word of the lord and now even though Jesus is doing what the Word of the Lord says, even though Jesus is the Word of the Lord in the flesh, they are they're not they're not receiving him, they're not accepting him. and And so he says this is actually a fulfillment of what David in the Psalter wrote. So there's kind of two places in the Psalms where we see a phrase either, identical to this or very, very similar. They hated me without a cause, and that's in Psalm 35, verse 19, in Psalm 69, verse 4. And the fact that they are Davidic psalms carry with them, you know, anytime you start bringing up Davidic psalms or psalms uh, written by David, they always have, at least in the background, if not in the foreground, a messianic aspect to them.
0: Keep going. Keep going. So he's
1: saying these things happened. (laughs) I mean, the 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 one, uh, the the one who's at the head of this great monarchical line that I'm supposed to be his eternal heir, right? You're going to have an heir of yours who's on the throne and rule over Israel forever. Um, He says that they've hated me without cause, and so when his great descendant comes, well. He gets the same response, but he, he, kind of even worse than even what David got.
0: So, Jesus then, from this warning, this telling his disciples ahead of time about the persecution, the hatred that they will receive, he moves then to a promise to how he will sustain them in the midst of it. And he brings up the helper again. Here, He calls him, once again, the spirit of truth. We've learned elsewhere in this section that this is the Holy Spirit of whom Jesus is speaking here. Tell us what Jesus promises to his disciples in verse 26 and 27 concerning the spirit and the help that he will give to his disciples coming up in the future.
1: Okay, so now what you've got here is you're actually starting to really start to say if I've talked about the negative things that you're going to face and he will come back to them. <laughs> right. um, there's also a positive thing that you're going to do after my ascension. And, and that is you are going to be the witnesses of what you heard me say. You're going to be the witnesses of what you saw me do uh, from the beginning. And that witnessing is not going to be fully dependent on, well, how good is your memory? How, how good are the, you know, did you write down everything I did or anything like that, but rather they will be divinely assisted by this helper who will also be the one bearing witness. So that the spirit's witness or testimony, which will take place in the world, um, will be done primarily in and through these people that Jesus sends into the world, and their witness is going to receive its sustaining power from this spirit, from this helper. And this witnessing is going to be of great benefit for the world, ultimately, because while it may have negative effects on those who don't receive it, who don't accept the testimony given, for those who do, they will be believers in Jesus just like these first disciples were. Uh, They will be saved just like these first disciples or followers were. Uh, They will have eternal life just like these first followers of Jesus did. And this great activity is what they're going to be part of after Jesus fulfills his identity, which will include his death and resurrection, and ascends to the Father. And right before he ascends to the Father, he sends them out into the world and says, you will be my witnesses of the things that I've done so that others might believe based upon what you testify.
0: So this text, verses 26 and 27, sometimes we hear it on the day of Pentecost, don't we?
1: Yeah, so if you're in churches that do uh, the the, the three-year cycle of readings, you will hear uh, this on uh, Pentecost in uh, what they call year B, um, and, and which, if you're in not this
0: to, year, this is year A,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so next, yeah, not the Pentecost coming up, but the one after it. Uh, if you're in a church that does the one year cycle of readings, actually, you'll be, you'll be hearing this verse and the verses that follow in chapter 16, um, on that Sunday that falls between Ascension Day and Pentecost, hmm. so like anticipating uh Pentecost day, um. Hmm. And, and, and the speaking of the word of the Spirit. So, so the, this is important to us as Christians now is that we that we identify the fact that the the witness that has been passed down through the ages about Christ's words and works um, is is divinely carried. It's divinely assisted. Divinely empowered. Uh, it, it's it's God at work. God's activity still in the world, uh, so that people might understand who Christ is and place their trust in him and his work and, and receive the salvation that he brought
0: well talk talk more about that because for example with verse 27 you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning that sounds like it's pretty specific to the 11 men who are there with Jesus Judas is left at this point so I mean that mm-hmm. sounds like it's pretty specific to them but we hear it right around the day of Pentecost so how does how does the work of the spirit influence not only the witness that these men who were with Jesus from the beginning gave but how does it influence our witness still
1: well the same spirit is at work whenever this witness of Christ is is repeated now that, that that's that's might be something that some of our people don't always think about when, when we um make our confession in the creed and we, we talk about, um, you know, one Holy Christian apostolic church, Mm. right. In in the Nicene creed. And, and such importance of, um, maintaining the apostles witness. Um, when the spirit had worked through these individuals who gave testimony and bore witness to what they, what they, Heard and saw and touched, which will be um, at the beginning of First John, when we when we when we go through the First John study, um, that testimony which was brought into the world is is truth. It is God's truth. It is God's message to the world. It is the, uh, God working through that record. Jesus actually even says when he prays for his people in the high priestly prayer that that he is praying for, for these particular apostles, but he's also praying for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, and so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, when John, the gospel writer, um, kind of summarizes the point of his book and says you know, I've recorded all these activities that Jesus performed, but not every single thing that Jesus ever did, but these which I've recorded to you, for you. Um, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and if I believe you may have life in his name. And that belief, that faith is created by the Holy Spirit working through this testimony that the apostles first gave But it has also been handed down to us and has been repeated and repeated and repeated and even preserved by the Holy Spirit through the ages so that others might hear and believe, even though they never saw. And and we see this in the scriptures, how much um, we we, we talk about, um, you know, you've never seen Jesus, yet you love him. Um, the importance, like Paul will talk about, uh, that, which of, of, uh, that which I received, I delivered to you of the first importance, that Christ died uh, for our sins according to the Scriptures, he was buried, and that he rose on the third day according to the Scriptures and appeared to Cephas in the Twelve, and so on. And that apostolic witness is not a static, antique you know, thing, dust off a reference book, you know, empty words on a page. It's a dynamic uh, power or it carries because the Spirit is working through that testimony.
0: As Jesus concludes in our text, moving now into chapter 16, he tells his disciples that he's spoken these things ahead of time so that they will not fall away because pretty bad things are going to happen to them. Uh, Pastor Zimmerman, we've got about four minutes here left on the morning. Help us to wrap things up with what Jesus says at the end of our text today.
1: So Jesus discloses to his disciples this first group. Here's what's going to happen to you. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time so when they happen, you don't get the idea that, you know, oh, I, oh, we were terrible witnesses and our, or uh, we went awry or, or the, whole, the whole thing uh, is, is, well, they, they didn't finish it off when they kill Jesus, because Jesus rose from the dead, but now, now that they're maybe killing us off, the whole thing comes to an end. So, so he, he's, he's removing all of that. Um, he's even telling them, you know, guys, you're going to face some adversaries who are actually going to believe they're actually serving God by persecuting you. That's how misguided those who hate you are, because they don't actually know me, they, and they don't know the Father who sent me. in fact, actually, the apostle Paul speaks that way about himself um, when he he refers to his uh, life prior to being converted. And he says, that's what you're going to face. But here's the thing. I've told you this before it happened, which is another kind of thing. You know, when we talk about the great prophet is supposed to come into the world, you know, as as Moses foretold, right? Well, I'm letting you know what's going to happen in the future even before it happens. And the fact is, the one who's told you this is like, you know, all this stuff which they did to me and ended up in my death also ended up in my resurrection. And that's what you're also going to share in. Mm.
0: Yeah, and and then that's the very confident tone then that this, Mm -hmm. this section really takes on despite the fact that Jesus has told them they're going to be thrown out of synagogues. Their people are going to think that they're worshiping God. When they do these things, they're going to think that, Hey, we're doing the right thing by persecuting these Christians, despite all of that very negative stuff that's going to happen to the disciples, Jesus speaking about these things ahead of time and knowing that his own resurrection is coming, which will lead to resurrection for all of his people, ends up giving this section a, a very confident tone with just about a minute left here. Pastor Zimmerman, give us the, the comfort that is ours from this text from Jesus
1: the cost of discipleship is worth it. Um,
0: And and maybe that
1: could be just kind of briefly said that way. The cost of discipleship um, will mean uh, suffering hatred uh, from those who do not know God. But we do know him, and we have his promises to us. And the one who is resurrected, who is crucified and risen, is the one who speaks these things to his followers and he has a power greater than what his adversaries uh those who hated him uh can ever exercise And, and therefore we place our confidence and trust in the one who has that greater power and exercises it for his people
0: pastor luke zimmerman is pastor at calvary evangelical lutheran church in mechanicsburg pennsylvania He's been helping us today to study John chapter 15, verse 18 through chapter 16, verse 4a. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. Very welcome. Glad to do it. Jesus says that his disciples will be hated because the world hated him first. Yet that hatred of the world that put Jesus to death could not keep him in the grave. The father raised his son. And so... Jesus will raise all those who belong to him. Have faith, have courage, dear Christians. Jesus will see you through the world's hatred into eternal life with him. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.